0: Uh, we are going to get after a topic that if you go to New Life for a while, you've heard in different forms, and that's intentional, and it might get annoying to you. I don't know. Um, but honestly, at this stage in ministry, I don't care that much because I feel that this is a cultural value that has to continually be addressed from the pulpit, and so when I get time off between sermon series, I like to hit topics that I think are culturally relevant and relevant for the church and, and how we operate and what we think is important, so uh, we are talking about an idea... Where And this is very common in culture. Culture has an idea over here, and the church has a biblical worldview over here. And we see the, the collision of the philosophical, the theological, and just the worldview come, come to this place of collision when it comes to certain topics. And this one maybe takes the cake. And it's an idea within the context of the covenant of marriage of love. And so the idea is this, that the Bible has a certain construct as to what it means to be in love, and then even more specifically, and you've heard this in the world, and I want to define it scripturally, what it means to fall in love, and here's the kicker, to stay in love. And so here's the starter, if you want some supplement, I love right now media, I love certain authors and certain speakers on the ideas specifically regarding marriage. I feel like I've listened to all of them at this point. Uh, But there's a guy by the name of Andy Stanley that addresses two points that I'm gonna address today. Uh, And I I think they're just absolute home runs. And so uh, here's the kicker, here's the starter. The only requirement for falling in love, look at me, is a pulse, okay? The only requirement for falling in love is a pulse. In fact, you will find that some people supposedly kind of superficially fall in love with people they've never even met. Maybe it's your uh, favorite sports athlete or maybe it's your first certain movie star and in some way you have this superficial kind of affection for that person where as soon as they come on the screen, everything else gets zoned out. And we live in a culture where you can pay to fall in love because you have this critical thing called a pulse. In fact, there are a couple thousand companies in America right now that if you pay them a certain fee, they will connect you with someone with a similar profile and you can potentially fall in love because the premise is this, it's not hard to fall in love. Now, in contrast to that, it's never been easier to fall in love, but the big idea for today is, although it's never been easier to fall in love, it has never been more difficult, at least in modern history because I'm not a historian. It's never been easier to fall in love, write this down, but it's never been more difficult to stay in love. And so here we have a problem. How do we address it? For most of us, there's a hardwiring within us that wants us to do life with a special someone. That's not really a Christian issue, that's more of an organic issue. We are hardwired that way. Now, God put that within us, but even if we don't follow Christ, we have that similar hardwiring. But where the rubber meets the road is, uh, we don't have just a goal of being in a relationship to survive. We want to be in love. True? How many of you want that experience? 90% of you statistically will get married. Half of you then will get divorced, hopefully not in the local church. But how many people want to be in love? All right? That's it? All right, I'm going to pray we're going to close this thing out. That's, uh, that's disappointing. All right, why is it so difficult? Write this down. Why is it so difficult? Here's the first reason before we get to the text. I think it's because very few people have ever been around a healthy Christ-centered relationship. And I'm not talking about falling in love. I'm talking about staying in love. Why, statistically, is this where people fall off the cliff? And just as a little teaser and a giveaway, even the idea of what you think it means to fall in love, I don't even buy that, and I'll get into that later. Uh, I'm not talking about what you think I'm talking about. We'll address that later later. But just so we're all on the same page, why is it so difficult? Because very few people have even experienced what it looks like and to model after a Christ-centered relationship. Even if you saw it, you probably didn't see it over a long duration. You just saw little teasers of it. And what we have is we live in a culture that has shown us what it looks like to fall in love over and over and over And over again. There's reasons why this is so difficult. One of them is it has not been modeled well. In fact, we haven't been raised up in what it takes to maintain a healthy, long-term, loving, in-love relationship. Secular research has, has done its job to define what it takes as far as the background of your personhood to be a sustainable, loving person to another person. And here are some of the traits that you need to be raised with. Key research ingredients to be in a future long-term relationship. You have to be raised with an ability to understand respect, encouragement, comfort, security, support, acceptance, approval, appreciation, attention, and affection. How many of you grew up with all those things just happening all the time in your life? Like you looked at dad and you thought, nailed it. And so we don't have that model to us, even if we're Christian. We don't have all of those things all the time. And so if that's what it takes to survive, to have the background contextually, to, to have the skill set to maintain that healthy, in love, long-term relationship, with a husband and a wife where the two become one, and you need all those things in a secular sense, and there's no supernatural reality driving your affection, then trust me, most of us are cooked, and it's not shocking to me now, 17 years into this thing called counseling and pastoring, it's not shocking to me that 50% of the people get divorced, it's shocking to me that 50% of the people with this worldview make it. Because if it takes all that, right, are you tracking? If it takes all that, we're in trouble, aren't we? So then shockingly, we say we want all these things, we look for somebody to meet those requirements, but most likely, most commonly, we didn't have it, they didn't have it, and here we go, we get married and we fall in love and we have these feelings, and these feelings will never go away. And so within the first few weeks, we get intimate with that person because they're the love of our life and what could possibly go wrong. And then all of a sudden, we say, I do. Before we say, I do, statistically, we move in together, and we play house, and we act like we're married. And then the rubber meets the road. It gets harder. And we get married, and there's conflicts, and there's two peak rates of divorce, Seven years, 21 years, seven years, I think, because the kids are small, like the little beautiful girl you just met up here, Willow, and they're stressors, and it's not the fairy tale that you thought it would be. And then 21 years, the kids are starting to get ready to be grown, gone, and independent, and now you feel like you deserve, and that's tricky, you deserve this life that you've always wanted. And so shockingly, you fall in love over and over again. And so we wonder why this doesn't work in a culture where we're supposed to be modeled things where 40 to 50% of all children in the United States right now are growing up just in one-parent homes. Where dad is rarely to never present, he doesn't tuck you in at night, you didn't understand what it looks like to stay in love, and so you have not had that model to you. Here's the second one, we're going to get going. Our culture has a very low relational pain tolerance. Write that down. If you like writing stuff down, man, this is a sermon to write some stuff down. Our culture that we live in has a very low relational pain tolerance. And what I mean by that is it doesn't have to hurt too bad to get out. The good old days tell death do us part, the covenant, not the contract. Godliness and holiness ahead of happiness, those are gone. And if you're not happy because that is the idol that we worship at, if you're not happy, it's because you are with what? The wrong person. That's how we view it. And so you chose poorly and now what you need to do is you need to re-choose. You need to get online, attach yourself to social media. Just as a side note, we say things in a very real fashion here and they can be offensive, but let's keep going. And so what you have maybe done as you walk into this place is you fell out of love because it's something that's a feeling and you fall in and out of it. You weren't happy, you chose the wrong person. Now you have to re-choose. You get this brilliant idea to get back on social media. You reconnect with that person from high school or college or a former job, and they have three or four failures under their belt, and you have a few failures under your belt, and now your wildest dreams are gonna come true, and shockingly, it doesn't work yet again. What does it look like to stay in love. And here's the good news. Into all of this craziness where the empirical evidence is in, we don't have the answers. Into all of this craziness, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the perfect one, speaks these truths into our life. We're going to spend two weeks on this issue and then I'm going to go to a sermon series. He speaks these truths into our relationships. We're going to cover... Two of them today. They, they can cover the romantic. They can cover the platonic. They are the solutions to how we stay in love. So turn your Bibles to John, and then we're going to move to an epistle. But Jesus says something so simplistic that it's profound, and most of you, Christian or not, have heard it. But listen to what he says in the context of your relational capital with other people, specifically our lens is your spouse. He says this, a new commandment I give to you, John 13, 34. Here's all the Andy Stanley two points that I have for you, and then I'm gonna go further with it. A new commandment I give to you that you, and underline this, love one another just as I have loved you you also are to, again, love one another. And so here's the first idea, and this is really the overarching idea of the next two weeks. If I could only pick one, this would be it, and I'm going to close with it as well. This is the big lie from culture. Jesus just did something. How many of you read that before? How many of you heard that? You're like, man, I, I didn't grow up in church, but I know that one. It's kind of almost like John three sixteen. In fact, people that aren't Christians love that, especially when you get in their business about how they're supposed to live their life. Well, Jesus said to love one another, okay? It's like, I know a few verses, and that's one of them. I got a tattoo of that one. That, that's my life verse, love one another, don't judge me. The Greek word for new command can mean hidden, recently discovered, it can mean remarkable, And so he sets it up to say that this is something that's like a nugget of wisdom, and it sounds so simple, but it's so profound that you missed it. It's so simple that it can change your life. Here's what I want you to do. He's talking to his followers. He says, this is the new covenant. I want you to look around at these people that you're doing life with that have decided to make me their savior. I want you to follow me and then love one another. And it's like, wow, I never thought of that, right? But here's what Jesus just did. And this is what Stanley says, and I thought, well, this is worth the price of admission. I want you to hear it. Jesus just took, and this is what we're going to break down this morning. Jesus just took what we have perceived in culture as a noun or a thing, love, Because if it's a thing and it has fairy dust attached to it, you can fall in it and you can fall out of it. And because it's a noun, it stands outside of your control. Jesus just took what we see secularly through the lens of a noun and he says this, love is a verb. Fill that in your blank. This is the paradigm shift. This is how you stay in it. A new commandment I give to you, love one another. Stanley says, I know love is something you think you fall into like a pool and out of like a high chair, but that's not the way it works. And so you have to fix your focus on how you see this issue. So because it's a verb, and a verb is defined in English teachers in elementary school and church today, right? What's the difference between a noun and a verb? A noun is a person, place, or thing. And so if love is a thing that stands outside of you, you can fall in it, you can fall out of it. But if love is a verb, what's the definition of a verb? A verb is an action. It's something that you choose to do. And so if you want to stay in this verb, you have to continually choose this verb. You have to choose this idea of love and this covenant. A new commandment I give to you. Love, verb, one another. What if you choose to be loving even though the person didn't deserve the love that you think you're supposed to give them? What if you choose to forgive? See, there's people aren't even Christians that have kind of adopted some of these ideals. And you can listen to them on whatever podcast that you might find comforting in your life. I would challenge you never to listen to people, even if they're wise, uh, you know, like the, like. I know a lot of you probably like the Daily Wire, and anyone listen to Jordan Peterson, and you listen to all his philosophy. There are things that people say, and there are people that aren't even Christians, uh, like Jordan Peterson. I, I don't think he's a Christian. He's a, he's a psychologist that has gained all sorts of hype, in, in specifically in the last few years, but they've even adopted some of these views. In fact, I heard him say something that's not gospel because it's Jordan Peterson. And I don't think he's a Christian, but he said something that in his Psychological practice, as a psychologist in the last however many years, he, t- he tells young men this. He says, you need to focus less on finding the right person because love's a verb, and you need to focus more if you wanna have healthy relationships, contextually, on being the right person. And he says, he tells young men this. He says, focus less on finding a princess and focus more on becoming a prince because what every healthy marriage knows that's Christ-centered is this. Becoming the right person is far more important than finding the right person because because love is a verb. Love is a verb. The foundation for staying in love is to make love a verb. That's how God designed it. And so when we want that story of till death do us part, there has to be a paradigm shift in our thinking Jesus says this on how you love, and this is where it gets intense. He says, you need to love one another, and here's the practical reality of it, as I have loved you. And so we don't take our cues from culture, we look to Jesus. We don't look to a manual or a model or a proven track record of failure to start looking at what to do that's perfect. We look to Jesus in verb form and he says in verb form, this is how you're to do this. I have loved you a certain way. I have loved you when you're unlovable. I have loved you when you're undeserving. I have loved you when it's not comfortable. I have loved you when you've turned your back on me. I loved you enough to go to a cross. I loved you enough to go to the Father on your behalf and intercede for you. I have loved you enough to make a way so that you can be with me forever. I have shown you, in verb form, what it means to lay my own life down before you. I don't choose to fall in love with you or out of love with you. Love is a decision that's attached to an action. I'm Jesus, follow me. That's a a whole different way of thinking. Paul comes along and gives things more context. Paul writes the book of Philippians to people in the church that he loves. And he's talking about how to love one another, what Jesus says to do. And then he says this. Husbands, record it. Do nothing. I have already failed the test. I failed it 12 hours ago, just so you know. My wife, she's tough, so I couldn't help it. That was supposed to be funny. I'll just keep reading the scripture because I feel if I look at you, you're going to judge me. All right, so Philippians 2, Paul says this, verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Here's how you stay in love. Are you ready? But in humility, count others. You can just insert spouse, wife. Husband, count others. They're they're in the others category. People in the local church, but for this context, marriage. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. Marriage failed 12 hours ago. But also to the interest of others or your spouse. I do nothing out of the lens of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition carries the idea of competing with one another. So if you want to stay in love don't compete if you want to stay in love write this down here's the second point there's only two love your spouse more this is the idea love your spouse more than yourself how many of you have always held that every every situation there's me and my small whims and my small desires and my small senses of injustices and then they're theirs, and theirs are so much more important than ours, than my own. I mean, I've, I've always, look at me, I've, I've lived that every ounce of my life. I've never failed, right? <laughs> said no one. Said a liar. Said a hypocrite. You want to stay in love? Act like he. You want to stay in love? Act like she is more important than you as you live out your life together. Have you ever been around somebody that's more important than you? If you think you haven't, it's because you're a narcissist, Okay. If you ever been around, like, and, and not in a sense of intrinsic value because we know we're all the same in Christ, we're all sinners, but but more on a practical level, positional importance. Have you ever been around someone that's a big shot? Have you ever gone to a, a professional athletic game or maybe seen a, an actor or an actress in, in, in any type of environment like the airport? I remember one time I was in high school, I, I walked by Lou Ferrigno in the airport. I don't know if I've ever told you guys that. He's the the deaf guy that's the Incredible Hulk, when Incredible Hulk was actually a real thing and not some weird cartoon Pixar thing. I remember I walked by and I went, oh my goodness, that's the Incredible Hulk. I I, I just felt like I was in awe of this figure who turned green when I was a child. (laughs) There's different ways to understand this, to consider your spouse more important than yourself, that sometimes you are the least important person in the room, mainly at any wedding you ever go to that's not your own, right? You go to a wedding, are you a big deal? You just show up with a toaster for the after-party gift, gift, right? If you think you're a a big deal, you're like the Michael Scott of lacking self-awareness. Who's the big deal at every wedding? And just a little hint, it's not the groom either. Who is it? It's the bride. Everyone lines up to hug and affirm the bride. Everyone stands up. I do a lot of weddings, right? They come through this door every time. We we part the Red Sea. We give them a middle aisle because you don't cross the bride. It takes a lot of time, but you don't cross the bride because it's not about me. It's about the bride. We decorate because it's not about the pastor. It's about the bride. No one remembers what I talk about because it's not about me. It's about the bride. It's all about the bride. There are times in life where it's just not about us. And so they have this positional importance, it's not about you. And and so Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying in this text, love people more than yourself, and when you do that, you stay in love. Positionally, when's the last time you saw your bride as just more important than you, that you deferred to them, that you valued them, that you sought out their counsel? That you look to them and you said, I consider in the practical realities of life and the things that I want, what I want to do today after church, as less important than you. And how could that potentially trigger some massive rearranging in your life? How would that affect you? What if they take advantage of me? So what? Husbands. It starts with us, doesn't it? It starts with us, with the leaders of the home. What if we modeled for those things that we want for ourselves? And the irony of this is that we all get it at first. You all get it in the butterfly stage, the the classic in love, or at least in lust or in infatuation, what you think is love at the time. I mean, when you first met, I doubt you went on your first date and said, Hey, you know, I don't really care what you want to do. What I want to do is I want to watch this football game on the recliner, and I don't want to talk much, right? How about a second date and a third date and a fourth date? Lance romance, right? No one does that. Everyone gets it at first. But what people who stay in love do that love Jesus, they take what used to come natural, and they do it now with intention. Write that down. That's a Stanley quote. They do, people that stay in love. These are the people that we model our lives after. That's why we have different stages and maturities within the local church. That's why it's important to be a part of the body of Christ so that we can look to people that are further along with us and go, what did they do over there that works so well? Because I need that. And here's what they do. People that stay in love, loving Jesus first, take what used to come natural, and now they choose to do it with intention because love is a verb. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, here's the closer. Have this in mind among yourselves. Here's where Christ is on display. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, On a cross, Jesus Christ in our walk is always front and center. And you can do things your way, but if your way is broken and it's proven to be a failure relationally, at what point do you have the humility to go, maybe I need to take a look at what Paul's saying. Maybe I need to take a look at what Jesus is saying. Maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe this thing isn't a noun. Maybe it's a verb. And maybe in that verb, We need to look like Jesus to our spouses as he empties himself. I mean, he's Jesus Christ. He's Jesus Christ, perfect. He comes to earth humbly. What do we say about people that we don't care much for? They're full of themselves, right? They're full of themselves. And then the Bible says this about the only perfect man to ever walk the face of the earth, that he isn't full of himself, that although he knows everything, he empties himself, making himself a servant in human likeness. You wanna stay in love? Give yourself up, that's what Jesus did for you. Make that person more important than yourself. I want to close with a song, not the worship team, my song. My song that I sent to my wife. I'll explain in a second. Anyone hear like 80s music? Like you just feel like it's God-ordained? Is it not accurate that the best love songs are from the 80s? They're called power ballots. I can't fight this, right? You're like, man, no one got it like the people in the 80s and then bleeding into the 90s, maybe, and then it just went, boom, downhill from there. If you want to follow Jesus in your marriage and do what he says to do, there has to, there has to. I'll get to the song in a second. This is what has to happen. At New Life, there are a lot of baby Christians. We strategically plan for how to change that to start there but not in there. And the way that we do that, here's a key way. If you want to grow in your faith, hear me say this, You have to first accept that maybe your way is broken, that sin is real, that you're a sinner, that Jesus has the answer, so once you've come to that point and you still don't know what to do, hear hear me say this, there has to be even a subtle shift a subtle shift that has massive ramifications in your thinking because what's happening is you are thinking things are true that are lies and you're choosing to believe those lies and when you're confronted, this is why the Bible's so critical, when you're confronted with truth, the ultimate source of truth is God's word, then you have to adapt, change, transform your view, worldview of how things work to what Jesus actually says, and you have to be able to identify it, you have to be able to repent of it, and you have to be able to make those changes if you're gonna grow in your faith. Otherwise, if you are a follower, you're gonna be drinking some baby milk your entire life and it's not gonna go well. And so there has to be this shift in thinking where you understand, because you know what the Bible says, the way that God sees things and the way that you've chosen to believe things. Sometimes it's in your face, Sometimes, this is my experience, it's subtle and sneaky. It's in the form of something that feels really good and you've chosen to believe it. And it's a part of every 80s love ballad that you've ever heard. And then you look at the Bible and you go, oh my goodness, I thought that was so romantic. I thought that was so powerful. But it was bathed in a bunch of lies that have been destructive in my life. There was this song that I heard that I forgot about. Maybe when I read the lyrics, because I'm going to, I'm going there, you'll remember it. We could play a game where as soon as you start knowing what I'm talking about, you raise your hand, but we're not going to do that. This <laughs> song is called, I Can't Make You Love Me. And I, I want you to see if you can identify the lie, because I underlined it. I sent it to Ann because it's one of these songs where it sounds so pretty and it's just a big lie, Okay. But it's beautiful in its sound. I love this song, I love music, and I love the way this song sounds, but without any further ado, here you go. The author, Bonnie Ray, originally, there's like 10 people that have covered it. Said, turn down the lights. Anyone yet? Okay. Turn down the bed. Turn down these voices inside my head. Lay down with me, tell me no lies, just hold me close, don't patronize. Don't patronize. And here's where you all know it. Because I can't make you love me. Anyone? (laughs) Do you guys know that song? I can keep singing it. We can go karaoke. (laughs) Because I can't make you love me if you don't. I can't make your heart feel something it won't. Here in the dark, in these final hours, I will lay down my heart and I'll feel the power, but you won't. The guilt, the manipulation, but you won't because I can't make you love me if you don't. She says, I'll close my eyes and then I won't see the love that you don't feel when you're holding me. Morning will come and I'll do what's right. Just give me till then to give up this fight and I'll give up this fight because I can't make you love me. That part's true, by the way. I can't make you do anything. I can't make you love me if you don't. And here's the lie, it's subtle. This is why we think it's pixie dust. This is why we fall in of it. And this is why we fall out of it. The line should say, I can't make you love me. Not if you don't. Not as a noun. Not that it stands over us. I can't make you love me if you won't. The choice, the verb, the action. Are you tracking? I can't make you love me if you don't. What does that mean? You you, you choose it. That's not something that stands over you. I can't make you love me if you won't, if you choose not to. If you choose to jump from feeling to feeling to feeling in your life that has mystic powers controlled by the love gods. If it's a spell that gets cast on you and it feels awesome until it's gone and then it leaves you. If you choose to make it a mystic experience that when you choose to leave it ruins those little children that you say you care so affectionately about because you don't love that person anymore and now it's time to leave mom or now it's time to leave dad because I fell in it and I fell out of it. I can't make you love me if you choose not to love me. It's a big lie. Love is a decision that is incredibly practical And it's incredibly selfless, but hear me say this, it's amazingly rewarding. And the truth of how it all works, this is the closer, I'll give you a short story of my own life, the truth of how it all works is sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't feel it quite as much. Anyone been married for a while? I feel it all the time, stop, right, stop. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. Friday night, I'm the romantic in the relationship, just the truth. My wife is more pragmatic and practical. She is loyal like a dog. She is loyal to the core. She is absolutely the other half of me that I'm needed. God sovereignly put us together because I'm emotional and she is just, she is, she's awesome, right? I'm thinking of all these words I could say right now. But in our own marriage, I'm the one that's romantic. I'm the one that's emotional. I'm the one who gets my feelings hurt sometimes, just being vulnerable. I sent her a text the other day. I was feeling I said, you look so pretty at the football game Thursday when Ron Cauley crushed its opponent 46-0 to because they're the best football team in the whole nation. (laughs) And she said, right, she said thank you. And she said it meant a lot to her. And so the next night we went to the Tokyo Grill and we philosophized for hours and we were feeling great. Last night, for whatever reason, I was frustrated. We weren't getting along as well. And, uh... You know, that's, that's kind of the play of it, right? Sometimes you feel this, sometimes you feel that don't. but I, she'll never leave me, I'm telling you. She's so loyal, and it's not based on emotion. We just, this is what we do. 21 years into being together now, we just grind away at this thing and put Christ first in our lives, and we have all sorts of faults, but Jesus comes first. Sometimes we feel this, sometimes we feel that. I like songs, I like romantic songs. I sit through this song, I said, there's this guy, Charlie Puth. He redid this song. He's so talented. He remade it. You have to hear this. I know it's like kind of a train wreck, but it's so, do you remember this song, Annie? I texted this to her, and she said this in all her romanticness. She says, I was waiting for this big response, and she simply responded, cool. Could you pick up the dog poop in the laundry room, please? Because I can't make you love me. That's my wife. And that's called, look at me, that's called the real world. That's called real marriage. That's called 21 years in, being together longer than you've been apart. That's called knowing that person 98% of your adult life. And you feel this and you feel that, but it's not fairy dust, I'm telling you. It's not a noun. It's a verb. And that's how Christ loves us. Let's pray, Jesus. Thank you for your truth. Pray that you can take these words, most of them were people that I've heard, that you could take them for whoever set them first and you could just use them for your glory. You can use them to transform new life. You can use them to grow us from our baby milk to our maturity in you. People in this room that don't know you as Savior, I tell you that right now they would turn to you, they'd repent of their sin, they'd recognize you as the King of kings and Lord of lords. For the rest of us in this space, we've been single or we've been married, God, give us an idea of what your love looks like, and then use that truth to turn us into disciples that love other people and put their needs first, specifically our spouse. Let us model for a lost community what it looks like to stay in love. Pray this in your name. Everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.